Dog Talk and Kitties too. I am Tracy Hotchner, best friend to dogs and kitty cats listening on Peconic Public Broadcasting in the Hamptons, on Robin Hood Radio in Connecticut and the Berkshires, and by podcast everywhere else. Please give a listen to all my new Pet Talk radio shows on the Radio Pet Lady Network, co-hosted by top pet experts at RadioPetLady.com. Dog Talk is a production of Eight Paws LLC, which is solely responsible for its content and is brought to you with the generous support of Platinum Performance Supplements, Precious Cat Litters, Nordic Naturals Omega-3 Fish Oils, the Animal Specialty Center in Westchester, New York, and Waruva Pet Foods. Waruva is a family-owned company that makes their canned foods in a human food facility because they believe our pets deserve to eat as well as we do. All the flavors of Waruva, Cats in the Kitchen, and their more economical BFF, Best Feline Friend brands, are made to appeal to finicky little dogs and choosy cats, especially those who are trying to transition away from unhealthy dry foods. The Waruva family chooses not to make any dry food because cats are obligate carnivores and they believe that for optimal health, they should eat only meat. I have a wonderful lineup of fabulous gift books. They're more than gift books, but they will make great gifts for, for Christmas and Hanukkah, and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to bring them all into one show together. You're going to love them. There's Rebecca Asher Walsh's book, Devoted, David um, David Tabatsky's book, Beautiful Old Dogs, and Lisa Rogak's book, One Big Happy Family. So each book is beautiful in its own way, and I would say a great stocking stuffer would be to get all of them. Those of you who won a copy of Devoted in the little contest I ran at RadioPetLady.com. Congratulations, and I'm sure you're going to be very excited to meet the author herself, as I am, because Rebecca is a longtime East Hampton resident as well as a Manhattanite. So, Rebecca, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this book is so beautiful, and, and National Geographic published it, so we can all expect that level and amazing beauty of photos. But where did you find all these incredible dogs? Well, as any dog lover knows, once you start talking about looking for incredible dogs, the dams open and out come the most extraordinary dogs in the world. So the challenge was really picking the 38 stories that I thought were the most powerful. And interestingly enough, every single one that resonated the most was not just about an extraordinary dog, but how an extraordinary dog had changed a person and how that person had then gone on to do such good in the world just based on this wonderful connection with his or her dog. So those are the stories that really stuck and make up Devoted. Well, there's there's some of them are just beautiful stories of an older man and an older dog or a younger girl and a younger dog. But what about this guy that skydives with the dog attached to him? I mean, you can flip through the book and one picture after another, you go, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. And then you just stop at the extreme dogs and you go, what the heck is that? How did you learn about this guy that skydives with this kooky looking little pooch strapped to his belly? I had actually worked on something else for National Geographic, and that dog and his owner were a part of it, and they're hilarious because, unfortunately, the dog is no longer with us. But 
this man loved, he was an airline pilot, and he loved jumping out of planes, and he loved scuba diving, and he had this little rescue dog, and as most of us know who have rescue dogs, the last thing they ever want to do is lose you again, so they insist on being with you at all times, so he was that person who said, all right, you want to be with me? Here we go. Let's jump out of an airplane, and the dog loved it. So he started taking the dog skydiving with him and started taking the dog scuba diving with him. And he was enough of an inventor to create the equipment she needed to do these things. And, and I guess the invention is, uh, is the word for it because you have a photo in there of him <laughs> scuba diving with this dog on the floor of, I guess it's a pool. It's not the ocean, but it is absolutely hilarious to see this goofy looking funny little mutt wearing her little her little helmet her little diving suit it's pretty yeah, crazy she did used to go she used to go scuba diving with him on the reefs in australia she really did it i mean i've oh i'm one of those people that loves to swim and loves to snorkel and i just never was comfortable with the idea of scuba diving i thought well i don't know i'll feel claustrophobic inside the hood or i won't breathe correctly and here's this dog happily scuba diving wearing full diving gear so i guess i'm really uh, you know, like not as brave as one small dog. Ha, ha, some of the the dogs are really older and had real or had really sad rescue tales. W- was that one of the things that pulled your heartstrings? You know, it didn't. It didn't end up being. Not. I don't feel that many of them are old. Definitely, I'm very involved with rescue work, and I wanted to try to keep a quiet undertone of. There are these extraordinary dogs sitting at shelters waiting to be adopted, and I think people have in their minds incorrectly that somehow they're unwanted rather than life happened. So I wanted to showcase that these heroes, most of these heroes, are dogs that were rescued from shelters who then did these extraordinary things in return for the people who had rescued them. But really, they could have been any. So, so let's talk about what. Towards those. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, sometimes um, I think people overuse the term hero a lot in our society. You know, a dog isn't necessarily a hero for being rescued. If anything, the person's the heroic one. But some of your dogs in, in Devoted really did amazing heroic acts. What are some of the ones that you, you know, when people say to you, well, what do you mean by heroic? What are the ones that jump out to you personally as like, well, well, how about this? Well, I want to also go back to the very good point you made about how we overuse the word hero, because one of the dog behaviors that I interviewed and talked to for the book, I was talking about one of my favorite stories, saying, can you believe this dog, which was this incredible dog who was able to sense that the young boy in his family was going to have grand mal seizures, which the parents didn't know he was having. And the parents said it was incredible. What we would watch is that he would patrol the house all night and go in, and, and then he would notice that the, the child was in a seizure and run to get the parents, and they would then stay with the boy until the paramedics came. And I said, isn't this just incredible? Isn't this dog a hero? And the animal behaviorist laughed and said, no, this dog is a good dog. Yes, many that's of nice. the things we think of as extraordinary because we are so quick to anthropomorphize. A good family dog, in fact, does often patrol the house at night and is making sure everyone's okay. And when there is a rapid change in breathing and temperature and panic situation, they're absolutely aware that it's happening. Yes, yes, exactly. So was that one of your favorites, that one? That was one of my favorites. I mean, I I have to be honest, I love every single story in here. I love that story so much. I love the story of 
Cheyenne, who saved the life of a vet who then went on to found this incredible group that is pairing shelter dogs with vets to try to get the suicide rate down along with the euthanasia rate because the companionship of an animal is so good for post-traumatic stress syndrome and for people who are feeling so alienated and allows people to go out and start walking their dog and talking to other people and making choices for themselves and being responsible for someone. Um, I love the story of Luca, who is a deaf pit bull who has become this extraordinary therapy dog for teenagers who are at risk because he can only be communicated with by making eye contact. And for the first time in years, these teenagers are now being forced to make eye contact in order to communicate with the dog and issue commands for him to sit and lie down and roll over. And it is life-changing to them. So So in in many cases... In many cases, it's sort of accidental heroism in a sense. I mean, because oh, of I that dog's it's... deafness, because we're always taught, don't make eye contact with the dog. It can be threatening or what have you, which many of us know that's not the truth with our own owned dogs. But that the necessity of doing that in order to compensate for his lack of hearing created this amazing moment for kids who were just disconnected. It is really it's, cool. It's incredibly cool. But again, the fun thing about doing this book was – The surprise is entirely on our end. We can't believe the dogs are doing these things, but the dogs are just being dogs. So the dog who sniffed cancer, dogs have this incredible sense of smell to make up for the fact that they're almost, you know, always pretty blind as bats compared to our vision. You know, they have no very little vision compared to us, but they sure can smell. So when this dog continued to poke at this woman's breast despite her normal mammogram and she went back to her doctor and said I don't know I know I sound crazy and it turned out she had a very aggressive growing sarcoma dogs can smell cancer they can smell the change in temperature they can smell the disease and dogs are now being trained in Atlanta and Emory to start to help detect things like ovarian disease and they're doing ovarian cancer and they're doing as well or better than machines so again these dogs aren't, I mean, we think they're extraordinary, but they're just living with us doing their doggy thing. And as you say, devoted to people. And that's one of the things that's evolved with dogs as a species. The the most remarkable thing is that they really are selected, self-selected, selected by us over a very long period of time for their devotion. That's sort of like the number one quality that, that identifies them as dogs versus some other species. What about sled dogs? There's a great um, picture of, and it's, and it's a mixed breed. I mean, here's Duchess, a mixed breed race dog. That was really interesting to me because I thought that the dogs used in Iditarod and other sledding um, competitions were, I mean, I know, I don't think it, I know that they're, that the breeding of these dogs and the maintenance of them and the keeping of certain bloodlines amongst people who are enthusiasts is super important. And yet here's this mixed breed in, in Oregon. Tell a little about Duchess. Well, this is this amazing, amazing woman named Rachel who grew up in a sled racing family and was determined to race herself, even though she has a degenerative disease, which means that she's has a very hard time seeing. And she has managed to work with the dogs in a way that they can all race together, again, relying on each other. Duchess is one of her favorites, but it was interesting that she 
the other thing that I love so much about the dogs in this book is every dog has a different relationship with the person. So for yes. Rachel, these dogs are not her pets. That's and right. Duchess is her most extraordinary dog because Duchess is the best racer who helps her the most when she's racing. But it isn't until the dogs retire that these dogs are allowed into her life as pets. There's another extraordinary dog, again, a rescue dog named Pearl, who's a search and rescue dog and lives with her handler, who's a fireman. And they have gone to Haiti and they have gone to Japan after the tsunami and they live together 24-7. This dog has to go with him everywhere as part of their, of their job. But he's very careful to say, she is not my pet. She's a worker. And That's what right. so looks forward to is she and he will retire in a couple of years and then he said this wonderful thing about I can't wait to take my dog and go to Hawaii and live on the beach or something like that because of course he loves his dog but her role in his life is very very different than the role of another dog who's somebody else's pet or another dog who races sleds even though they're with each other constantly living together, he has to always keep in mind that the most important thing about her and her life is what her skills are and to keep those skills very well honed and not devolve into just playing games or giving mindless treats. He has to sort of keep her sharp, I guess, right? Yep, absolutely. And every single one of these people has such a different relationship with their dog for different reasons. But the thing that unites all of them Oddly to me, what the greatest fun for me wasn't the dog's devotion to the people. It's the people's devotion to the dog. And this extraordinary understanding or discovery again and again and again of truly unconditional love. And it didn't matter who I was talking to. It didn't matter the gender, the socioeconomic background, where they lived, what their life was like. They would invariably start to cry with gratitude that wow. this dog had broken through every defense and every barrier and taught them the meaning of love. Pretty lovely. Now, did you have kind of a contest or something to find them? Did you send some big shout out to the universe and say, I'm doing a book called Devoted. How devoted are you and your dog to each other? Because <laughs> Nat Geo couldn't have sent photographers, I wouldn't guess, to each of these dogs all over the yeah. world, did they? No. no, no, no. I did all of the, I did almost all of the searching and finding. Um, again, I'm very involved in the rescue community, so it wasn't hard to get a lot of the dogs that way. Um, the wonderful fireman who has Wilma, who's become a, an herbalist and healer because of Wilma, this, this pit bull he rescued with cerebral palsy, that he went bankrupt taking to, to vets and nothing worked. So he found an alternate path to heal her and thus to his life. Is somebody that I know to the rescue community in the in the city in New York City. Um, Luca, the the deaf pit bull, is a dog who's rescued from the shelter that I work with. And then, and then people start talking. They say, "Oh, did you hear this story? Did you hear that right. story?" And Shep, the beautiful dog, there's a picture of him being held in a lake because his owner would take him to help him with his arthritis. That picture went viral. And so I called and said, what's the story behind this picture? And, of course, people want to talk about their dogs. And then he begins to talk about this dog saved my life. I was suicidal and decided not to kill myself because of my relationship with this dog. And I said, you're in. That's perfect. Thank you. (laughs) Because truly, once people start talking about their dogs, there's almost always a great story there. Almost always. Well, there's a a Doberman Pinscher in the book called Brock, who I think is just 
one of the most beautiful dobies I've ever seen. I mean, magnificent. And the photo is great because it's, you know, black and tan and there's lily, yeah. like yellowy salmon color lilies behind it. Um, and it's a, a Doberman assistance network, the lady that, that yeah. has this doby. And this doby looks like it should win, a, a you know, yeah. the, like the fanciest dog show. And meanwhile, she's all about saving Dobermans, right? Debbie's extraordinary. Debbie, again, I found through my rescue work because she has now, thanks to Brock, started an organization called Pilots and Paws. And what oh, they Debbie's do, been on this show. Is that the Debbie? She's, that's Debbie. Oh, she's, been on, she's been on this show. Yes, yes. I'll be darned. Um, she helps with a wonderful benefit in Southampton. I didn't um, realize that. Good yeah. for so, so Brock is her rescue. She ran Adobe Rescue and fell in love with Brock, who was in Florida, but she was on her farm in South Carolina and was hoping to avoid what most people have always done in the past, which is all those driving legs, which is very sure. stressful on a dog. And she happened to have a wealthy enough friend who said, I'll fly him in my private plane. Oh, and, I know. And she's got this whole organization right. that all these pilots are giving their time. The thing that's amazing about Brock, just as we wrap up, is that he really is one of the most magnificent dogs I've ever one seen. One of the most beautiful yet. dogs you've ever seen. Yeah. Ever. And yet ever. he was a, a he was a scrawny and young, and his teeth were filed down so that he couldn't uh, fight back. He was used as, as a bait for fighting dogs. Yeah. Amazing stories. I, the book is so wonderful, Rebecca. It's just oh, a complete delight you. and a feast for the eyes, and it does make us all kind of choke up if we had to say all about the extraordinary lives and tales of our own dogs and us. Sometimes they may not do anything heroic, but they definitely <laughs> enhance our lives. So thank you thank for writing you. it. Thank you for finding all these swell dogs. They're, they're just wonderful. They're delicious. Thank you so much. Have a great holiday. Thank, thank and you so much know that everyone who won copies of the book was awfully happy. Everybody else, you have to buy yours. That's <laughs> Thanks have a lot. Have a great Take day, care. Rebecca. Take care. We'll be right back after this quick word with David Tabaski and beautiful old dogs. They are lovely. We'll be right back. Support for Dog Talk comes from the Animal Specialty Center in Yonkers, just north of New York City. ASC is a comprehensive veterinary facility with around-the-clock emergency care and specialist veterinarians who work as a team to help your own veterinarian manage a pet's challenging medical condition. At the Animal Specialty Center, there are board-certified specialists in oncology, cardiology, dermatology, neurology, surgery, internal medicine, and dentistry. Doctors who work together using innovative tools to diagnose and treat the four-legged members of your family using state-of-the-art medical options. This show is also supported by Platinum Performance, comprehensive nutritional supplements, which contain nutrients designed to improve overall health at a cellular level, especially joint health and the arthritis that comes with aging. Platinum Performance makes supplements for dogs, cats, horses, and people too. I am back with David Tabaski in this wonderful book, Beautiful Old Dogs, A Loving Tribute to Our Senior Best Friends. David, welcome to the show. Delightful to have you here. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for tributing these wonderful, grizzled, gray, roomy-eyed, cataracty old dogs and pairing these photos, which are divine. They're just real works of art, which were done by a gentleman who, whose work I don't know, but he's apparently very famous, called Gary Gross, a famous photographer, yeah, not, really, not just of dogs. First, these photos are exquisite. The first time I saw them, I, I, I just really couldn't take my eyes away. Um, they're... Really, there's a story in each one of them. Yes. And 
you know, Gary's work. He was a fashion photographer for about 20 years and had been a um, an animal lover fiercely as a child. And, and then um, he got into dog training with Vicki Stilwell, creating Dog Trainers of New York. And then that kind of just evolved into him marrying these two things together, um, photography and dog training, because you can you look in these photos and you think somebody, that, that's a double-skilled job to to have the, the technical photographic ability and, and then the eye contact and the real, yes. the real presence, you know, the dog. There's a, there the is dog. a real presence, and these dogs, yeah. are some of them are so old in just mm-hmm. such a, a lovely kind of a way. And, and often I've had people on the show that specialize in adopting out senior dogs and the Southampton shelter, the official shelter of the show, I think often senior dogs and cats, there's either a lower or no adoption fee. And I always encourage people because they, they create no chaos in your life. And people say, oh, he's so old, he's eight. But, you know, that could be only half his lifetime. You never know. And he can have the well, quiet, now, lovely- just like we, oh, I'm sorry. Just like people are living longer, dogs are living longer because veterinary medicine is, gets, gets more advanced and sophisticated, just like medicine for humans does. So dogs can, can live yes. longer. But they, but they still get just as gray and grizzled and wrinkly as we do. And that's what's yeah. really great about the photos. And then you have paired the photos um, with wonderful pieces of writing by all kinds of very eclectic. Uh, you're a professor of writing yourself, yes? Yeah. So you, and, and- you teach at Cooper Union. So you're very familiar with how to find great nuggets of writing. You probably use some of them in your courses. Yeah, well, this was a great mix. I really wanted to have kind of something for everybody, and and it goes from. I mean, there's certain, there's some celebrity pieces that are that are great. It's always fun to read, you know, things from people who are famous, and that they're all they're all the same as anybody else when it comes to loving their dog. And then there are pieces from people who really um, spend a lot of time committed to to um, helping dogs, and then other, uh, you know, a whole mix of of other kinds of people. So I, I think that it should be something good for everybody. <laughs> well, what I like about it is feeling like I'm pretty steeped in dog literature, if that's actually mm-hmm. a subset, is that a great many of the pieces that you found, I've never seen anywhere else. They're, they're definitely unique and, and thought provoking and either funny or sad or all the various things that good writing can be. There's, there's a lovely one and it's paired with this really cool photo of what looks like this really old bulldoggy kind of boxery bulldoggy kind of brindle, but his face has gone all white. And the, the photography of the grizzledness of these older dogs really is painterly. I mean, you stare at it really hard and yeah, think that's, it, that's a good word, right? It right? Does, they almost look like they had to be that those details had to get painted yes. in. But, but yes. yeah. Yeah. And that's the mastery of being just an extraordinary photographer with obviously really great equipment. But there's one from, from Doris Day, and my father wrote her biography, and she was is a, a lovely woman. She's now become reclusive, but she lived mm-hmm. at that time in the flats of Beverly Hills, and there really was a brass plaque on the gate of her driveway. There No gates were allowed in Beverly Hills by whatever the law was, and there was the one, the one exception was Doris Day, because people would just come to her door and dump dogs and cats there just like endlessly. And the brass plaque said, please don't leave your dogs here, you know, call animal control. But she really, her devotion to dogs and, and to rescue has just been, I don't know, it's all of her life. legendary. I think, it is. I think she set the bar, I, you know, just from the generation that she came from. And, you know, she set the bar really high for 
a whole lot of actors and other celebrities out in, in Hollywood, especially, who followed in her footsteps. She really set an incredible example. You know, that it's you true. can be this, this famous, very accomplished person, but also just be there and take care of her for, 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 for all the, these, these animals that, that need it. Well, now um, it's sort of become a celebrity badge of honor to be at one event or another holding a dog or being given a dog to take a photograph with. And, and really, it is. she it's did like it. politicians with babies. Absolutely. You know? yeah. I mean, and, you know, back in the day, I mean, movie stars were photographed holding a baby, sometimes their own, which they probably hadn't held for days. And now they were holding it for like a photo op. But dogs yes, were something yes. you bought, and they lived in the backyard. And Doris's dogs always slept in bed with her, and there was a half a dozen or more. And at one point in her career, she even tried to develop, talk about being forward-thinking, a really healthy dog, dry dog food, back before anybody had ever heard of super premium dog food, you know, at all. And unfortunately— oh, no, she put a lot of this stuff on the map. And, you know— She did. Um, Marlo Thomas, who is also in, in the book, with a, a lovely story about her dogs. She used to carry, I mean, she, she, she mentions it in the story, you know, she used to carry um, a little tiny dog, you know, the kind that you can take on the plane. She would carry a, a little dog around with her for, for years. She would have a dog around, be, you know, when she was doing theater or when she was doing that girl. And, and uh, she also kind of let people know that, it's okay. You can be famous and also have a dog. Basically, that's kind of what it comes down and to. You, and you, but you don't have to be famous for having a dog. It well, no, exactly, exactly. And yeah, now it's yeah. sort of it's sort of flipped on its ear. But in those days, the idea of rescue and shelters and taking in discarded dogs was just really not something that people did. And now, of course, it's a, a badge of honor to do it. I wonder if you would read. Just to give a sense of of uh, one of the very many pieces, I think they're the number there's like 44 of them or something and they're all wonderful some are shorter or longer but i wonder if you would read the one written by by doris day called the greatest gift of all oh sure okay to those of us who feel that dogs are one of god's most perfect creatures we cherish every single moment with them in the autumn of their years oh sure it's wonderful when they're puppies romping and playing tearing up newspapers and chewing on furniture then they bond with you, and you learn that they are one of the few creatures in this world capable of giving unconditional love. No matter what happens, they always are there for you, through joy and sorrow, sickness and health, loneliness and despair. They are there, never judging. They take a place in your heart that is immovable. And when the years have taken their toll, and they can no longer romp and play, they continue to give you all the love in their hearts. When they can barely walk, they look at you adoringly, seeking your guidance and help. We feel helpless at times, and our eyes fill with tears as we try to comfort these precious babies. They deserve every bit of love and care that we can give, for they have given their all to us, for nothing more than a kind word, a gentle pat, or a kiss on the cheek. When you look into their eyes, you see the soul of our Creator. And as hard as it may be, when life becomes too difficult and the pain and suffering unbearable, we can give them the greatest gift of all, the peaceful journey into God's loving arms. Well, it's certainly more religious than I personally might be, but it, there is something about an aging dog that does inspire that kind of reverence because it's like, wow, he's walking all the way across the floor just to come see me and look how hard it is to take every step. Yeah, I mean, but I've, underneath all of that, she's really respecting. She, there's, there's, aside from the religious aspect, I agree with you, but it's, it's respect. And, and that, yes. Yeah, it's not taking that for granted. That's right. You know, that, 
because all that effort and all that is there in that dog. And there's, that also reminds me of other people's stories in here where they talk about the wisdom. Gary Gross did that, you know, who, who did all the photography. He talked about the wisdom of old dogs. And I think that when people really pay attention, they see it and they feel it. I think it, it, there, there really is a sense in the book that all these dogs have deep souls. You know, just mm. like puppies are all alike. Just like all happy families are alike, all puppies are alike, all puppies are happy. Nothing bad's happened yet. They haven't been through the ups and downs of life. They haven't lived through all of the human sorus and neurosis and had to sponge up all of our, you know, moving houses and changing partners and people coming and going. And these dogs and these photos, they've taken it all in, David. They've just... And a lot of the writing talks about that. You know, these dogs have spanned sometimes decades of our lives and some of the tough decades. And there's something in their eyes. They've just there's a kind of wisdom and soulfulness The the lady, Stacy Foreman, who co-owns with her husband, the company Waruva, that's one of my sponsors. She had this dream. She had three toddlers and uh, several adopted cats and dogs. And she had this dream. She was going on Pet Finder to look for an old dog. She wanted to find an old dog to whom she could lavish a wonderful last months, weeks, years. It was her dream. And, you know, when she said it, I thought, wow, that's like so St. Francis-like. But it really meant a lot to her. And your book gives me that same sense. You see these dogs and you think, I want to make... This rest of your life, however long it, it is, I want to make it really good. You've earned that. You deserve it. You know, and I guess that's what, what Doris Day had written was suggesting that. You know, you've really earned the respect that, that the aged should have. And they don't, even the human aged don't have much respect in some societies, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that, that actually suggests um, a whole movement that I, that I learned about that I didn't even know existed, you know, until I was doing this book. Um, it's you know called senior you know different iterations of seniors for seniors different yes. organizations who are pairing up senior humans with senior dogs which makes perfect sense. Uh, it does as far because as everyone's mutual, a There's a mutual yeah. understanding there. You, That's you know, right. Um, yeah, and and I you have think a great you have, you have a great resource in the back of the book. Just fa- fabulous. A lot of wonderful organizations. Um, and some of them are for older, and some of them are specific breeds, and some of them are big national ones like the Humane Society of the United States. But it's a great group. Some of them I've I've never heard of. You know, all dogs. Well, I wanted to actually do a variety because in, 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 yes. if you kind of go and just do the research, you could have a whole book full just of resources. That's right. I, could, I, could, That's I right. couldn't do that, but I wanted to represent um, a variety of them. So people who are hungry for more, they can maybe be spurred by seeing. There's, there's some local, regional, and national exactly. ones, and they could see, like, oh, well, maybe there's one like this in my area. Or the idea was also kind of a call to action. So, yes, read the book and it, weep, if you will, or laugh, or, or all of those things, but then it's only half of what the value can be of any book, I think, like this, if that's all you do is read it and admire the photography. But if you don't do something, then it, it's only you're only going halfway. That's right. Um, so, and I think another so, beautiful thing about the book is it really does let us all reminisce about the oldsters that we had in our lives or who are still in our lives now. And it just gives you that little deeper appreciation of of what it's like to be a grizzled gray, not seeing so well, not hearing so well, not walking so well, but still with us and still a valued family member, not something to be discarded or to be discounted or pushed off to the side. 
but you know, make a make a warm place for them in the middle of whatever your life is, and let them come along at their own rate in their own way. And I think that that's that's the book definitely inspires that. David, it's really a wonderful book. I hope people will share it with us with each other at Christmas and Hanukkah because I think it, it it has that really good holiday feel good feeling. So thank you yeah, so well, much. Thank you so much. Thanks for, for putting thanks it together. For having me. It's a delight. Now, everyone remember this. Beautiful old dogs, a loving tribute to our senior best friends. And, David, you have a great holiday yourself. Thank you. You too. Take care. We'll be okay. right back after this one quick word with One Big Happy Family and Lisa Rogak's book with some other amazing photos. We'll be right back. Support for Dog Talk comes from Precious Cat Litter, which is privately owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who is dedicated to creating litters to appeal to pussy cats and protect their health. All the Precious Cat Litters are low dust for the health of all members of the household. Touch of the Outdoors is their newest litter made from field grass that provides environmental enrichment for indoor cats and entices them into the litter box with the natural scent of the great outdoors. Support for this show also comes from Nordic Naturals, omega-3 fish oil products that provide dogs and cats with the same premium quality omega-3 fish oils as for people. Research shows that even the best diets are deficient in the essential fatty acids found in omega-3 oils. Nordic Naturals uses responsibly sourced healthy wild fish and uses third-party testing to guarantee purity and freshness in all their oils. I am back with Lisa Rogak and one big happy family, heartwarming stories of animals caring for one another. This is the perfect holiday book, Lisa. It's so delightful and truly heartwarming, warmer than a, than a cup of hot cocoa. How are you today? I'm fine, Tracy. How are you doing? Oh, well, I'm just completely delighted by this book and the, the variety of, I guess we'll focus on dogs because it is dog talk, although it's kitties too. And there are some cats who adopted some other friends of another species. The photos are incredible and some of them just defy imagination. I, one that just, to me, is like, wait a minute, that's a hunting dog taking care of a precious owl. The German shorthair, to give people an idea, they're gorgeous photos and they'll be the two animals are named, a Springer Spaniel and her lambs, and in this one, the German short-haired pointer and her owlet. Now, how did you learn about, now here's a hunting dog that's supposed to retrieve birds after someone shot them, right? And he's looking after this little, tiny, adorable baby owl. How did you learn about this? Oh, my, Tracy. It was just a, a real experience. I mean, I must admit I am not a cute animal photo type of person, but when I was researching the book, um, I, you heard more often than not. Oh, look at that! It was. Um, it, I basically found all these stories by digging through archives and newspapers, and just to see the stories of uh, incidents where a an adult animal adopts, fosters, what have you a baby animal of a, of a different species. And again, yes, most of, there are a good amount of them in the book that are actually predator and prey. And the, mo the one that bothered my mind the most was the story of the foxhound and the fox kit because, yes. you know, yes. the foxhound is supposed to go after the, the, the right. fox kit. And um, the story that took place in a, in a, in a, at, a, at a wildlife shelter in Connecticut. And in that case, it was really an amazing story because 
they um, ended up with abandoned, orphaned fox kits, a litter of maybe four or five, and they had to look around for a, a dog of a certain size who was who was ner- currently nursing and in order to take care of the, the fox kits, and they had to actually go all the way to, I believe, South Carolina to find a foxhound called Mama. <laughs> and now why do you think they, but why did they pick that foxhound? Because you say it's so counterintuitive. I mean, because, was it just they happen to know someone who knew somebody? You know, through the networks of rescue and humane groups, they pinpointed that this was the best dog. And so they, they transported Mama up and um, they, there was a little bit of consternation on Mama's part when she saw what they were, the humans were trying to latch on to her, but they, they calmed her. They, you know, the, her, basically this dog's maternal instinct was so strong that it overcame her, her breeding instincts. Well, I mean, the picture of her with these fox kits, I had never, most people have probably never seen a baby fox. Those of us that have seen an adult one skulking around, it's one thing, but they look like little something from The Hobbit. I mean, they look like little (laughs) creatures from another planet. No wonder she was shocked. They look like kind of, I don't know, furry bats or something, don't they? Right. Their ears are huge, but it's a great photo. It really is. Oh, it's fantastic. I see that a lot of them seem to have come from England, a lot of the dog ones. I mean, a surprising number of dog ones. And I wonder why England. I wonder, what is, is it because there are sanctuaries there that, that got in touch with you or vice versa? Oh, there are a couple of different reasons. I mean, there are a lot of sanctuaries and wildlife rescues all throughout the, the um, UK, and there was a woman in the 60s by the name of Molly Badham who ran a sanctuary, and basically she would keep dogs, primarily Great Danes, on, on yes. quote-unquote staff in order to help her raise these, these foster see. babies and orphans, and um, another reason that they can't, there were so many stories from the UK was because the British newspapers just love to run these stories. I so when see. I was searching through the archives, a lot of them were from the UK and they, they, um, again, they, they, they were from all over the, the United States. Well, no States. wonder because there's one that's the mutt and her bush baby. And the photo is unbelievable. It's just a black dog and this bush baby, which, you know, it's us. It's in England, but I guess a bush baby is really an Australian creature, is it? It's like, wow, what is that creature with a tail longer than the dog and less yeah. kind of soft gray fur? Yeah, um, maybe six or seven stories in the book. The stories aren't all... Um, from the last few years. Some of them were actually from the 60s and 70s. And I worked with a wonderful British photographer. Um, I'm going to, okay, what is his name? I'm It'll come to you. Up. Don't don't. Fret. Yes, yes. And so basically he did a lot of these stories. Um, and he, some of them were from the 60s. And so he got a reputation John Drysdale is his name, and some okay. of the most of the most of the black and white photos in the book are uh, from John Drysdale. And whenever somebody heard of a story 
involving an interspecies parenting relationship, they would call him. And he oh, actually had a book of, of interspecies um, stories, not just parenting, but friendships and other relationships that came out, I believe, in even in this country in the 80s or 90s. They seem hard to believe. There's one that just looks like, oh, come on, but obviously it's real. <laughs> these Dalmatian breeders in the Barossa Valley in Australia with these very spotted Dalmatians, as Dalmatians tend to be. And there's a black and white spotted baby lamb who's orphaned, and here's this Dalmatian helping raise. The baby lamb is is colored just like the Dalmatian. Yes, exactly. That was a that was a real that's kind of cool. Color. That it's, was really it's, cute. Yeah. It's a really it's a, a fantastic range, and you look at them and you think, no, that must be Photoshop. There's like a border collie <laughs> with a tiger cub and a hyena. I mean, there's like nothing this border collie doesn't like, and the, yeah, and the tiger cub's kind of playing with like the back end of the of the border collie and I'm thinking be careful border collie right exactly exactly the the funny thing is is that when we first came up with the idea for the book um I it, it, the original title was mother nature because we were oh, that was good yeah, well, but we assumed that it was just going to be female adults, and then I started to find examples of these these um, adult animals that were that were actually male, and you know the joke was with um, the story of the uh, tamarind monkey and his twin baby marmosets, which is actually a quite a quite a cute picture. Um, Very. They, Monkeys are and and primates and ma- and and animals from that particular family tend not to take on um, babies from another type of primate, and so this one was was uh, unusual because it was a tamarind monkey and the marmosets and and that was a that was a that was a male adult and it was basically was really. Yeah, it's like, it's like he, he's like he's he's a manny, you know, like like Madonna has a manny and yes, and yes. Paltrow has a manny. The the female um, marmoset has a manny too. That's right, and it's and it, you look at it and you think, how can this be? You just sort of think that I don't know. You hear stories about even dogs, but certain other species where the male will kill the babies or the mother will kill her own babies. You know, for whatever reason, something to do with nature. And the idea that they would take on somebody, a completely other species that doesn't look, smell, or act anything like anything you've ever seen. There's one of a, they call him a pointer mix, but he's this really cool looking dog, like a giant hairy, um, oh, I see, it's a German short hair and wire haired pointer mix. Great looking dog. And he's raising this baby kangaroo. I guess they call them joeys. I guess they're yeah. a baby kangaroo's called a joey. But, I mean, this kangaroo yeah. is so little, he looks like from Winnie the Pooh. Like, he looks like Roo in Winnie the Pooh. And this giant, big, Walt Disney kind of dog is his best friend, I guess, right? Yeah, it actually looks, some of the pictures look to me like a little prehistoric. <laughs> yeah. The hippo, the, the, the lab with the Labrador retriever with the hippo, with the baby hippo, and the planter mix, which is Joey. I mean, the Joey just, you know, who, who, another interesting, odd, unusual, somewhat predator and prey relationship in the book is on page 79 with the Airedale Terrier and her guinea pigs. 
And Airedales are bred to chase and kill vermin. And guinea pigs certainly fall into that category. And it was a great story because whenever the owner, um, it was in Vancouver, um, Canada, whenever she would bring bring, um, sunshade into the pet store, the dog would totally fixate on the guinea pig cages and she thought oh it's a it's a it's a genetic thing right, it's a breed right. but this dog wanted to to take care of these guinea pigs and so in in 2010 the dog was diagnosed with cancer and successfully treated and um his owner decided to reward sunshade by giving him a a, a guinea pig and the dog was just beside herself, and she got a couple of more guinea pigs. And this this dog would, you know, take care of, wash the dog, wash the guinea pigs, and and um, one of the one of the baby guinea pigs um, unexpe- unexpectedly died, and the the owner buried the baby in the backyard, and Sunshade just basically mourned by the graveside for at least several weeks. Like something Homerian. And when you see this guinea pig perched on top of this big Airedale's head, I don't know, there's just something about it that makes you think, I mean, there's some dogs that don't like any other dogs. So how, who are the, are these anomalies? You think all these amazing dogs loving, not just tolerating, but loving other species? Or do you think maybe all of our dogs i mean i can't speak to guinea pigs or you know baby lambs but certainly the dogs that are with them do you think maybe all of them have this capacity and it simply hasn't been accessed i don't know about that i think you know it's like people people come in all shapes and sizes and 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 temperaments and you know their inclinations about you know who they like and who they yes. who they're drawn to and who they're repelled by but I think that there are more stories like this than we hear of because, again, these are only the stories that came to my attention, and That's many right. of them had been in newspapers and everything. And, uh, you know, we don't hear and, – and for, for some of these, again, in some, at some of these wildlife sanctuaries, sanctuaries and rescues – in the UK, you know, it's it's old hat to them. It happens there all the all the time, and only when they get a really unusual story uh, in uh, an unusual pairing does it make the news. Or again, you know, maybe a new photographer, new f- reporter is just just happening happening by and tends and hears about it and says, "Oh, wow, this is worth a story." So it's kind of self-selecting in that way, but. Um, you know, there are just, I'm sure if I were to do another follow-up book in a couple of years, there would be, you know, at least, again, as many stories that have appeared in, in that, that have made the the news that I could well, these draw are, on. These are, I'm sure there will be more. I'm just amazed at how many are in England and Australia. And I just have to say there must be something in the water or the air in England to cause all of this Noah's Ark love. I mean, the picture of the chicken and a whole litter of Rottweiler puppies, maybe oh, yeah. the chicken took over a, a, oh my goodness, it's just incredible. It's it's just so cool. Lisa, that was the book one of is, my favorite Oh stories. my God, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. It's like, you know, who's taking care of whom, right? Well, yeah, the book exactly. is delicious. It's a great, um, great gift for, for someone of any age. I mean, the writing is for adults, but a school-age kid could easily 
read it and understand it. And the pictures would delight people of any age. So, so pleased that you took the time to find all these great stories. And they're called heartwarming stories of animals caring for one another. And they certainly are. So, Lisa, thanks so much for being part of the show. And we look forward to seeing what species crop up the next time around. (laughs) Thanks so much, Tracy. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now I'd just like to take a quick moment to answer some really interesting and nice emails that I've gotten, some quick questions that I don't generally take the time to answer, but I would love to do that. This is from Harry. I'm a huge fan and a weekly listener. I particularly like your stance against dry food and have tried to spread the word, but don't have the necessary information and have unfortunately forgotten the reasons, which I think is adorable. I would appreciate any word you could send me about the negatives of the dry food for dogs and what it might cause, etc., course those of you that have listened know I don't really have any problem with dry food for dogs however he says I have never given mine dry food I wouldn't want to eat it so why would I think animals would which is quite funny thank you for any information you might give me and I look forward to your next broadcast on WPPB and his Parson Russell Terrier Jack also thanks me so Harry here's the story It's fine if you wouldn't want to eat dry food, but there's actually really good nutrition in high-quality premium dry food for dogs. And your guy's just a little Parson Russell terror, as we call them. So he doesn't need a massive amount of food to feel full, to get energy. You can give him protein, veg, and I hope you're giving either a very balanced canned food or you're using a, a totally balanced supplement with home-cooked food because just home-cooked food will create physical problems. The problem with dry food for cats who have a completely different digestive system than dogs, they're what Dr. Elizabeth Hodgkins now calls hyper carnivores. Instead of saying obligate carnivores, they're hyper carnivores. And so they can only eat meat. Their digestive system is only designed to eat meat almost entirely the most amount of carbohydrates or plant material that their digestive system can handle is about 10% or less. So uh, any kind of a dry food is a heavily processed, highly processed carbohydrate rich food, which has a lot of indigestible plant fiber um, and material, which is good for digestion in the longer digestive tract of a dog. Uh, Or even actually for people, We, we need Uh, indigestible plant fiber. That's really good for our digestive system too. So all of our species have a different digestive system. So dry food for a large dog is pretty much is an essential part of of a well-balanced meal. You couldn't possibly, or you have a very hard time affording or getting enough food into a big dog to make him feel satisfied with just meat and veg. Or in my case, I also add a raw dehydrated food called the Honest Kitchen, which has fruits and vegetables and uh, plant matter and protein, and it's all organic and it's all human edible, and I give that as part of the meal. So, and that's something I think Jack would love to have. They say, you know, the more fruits and vegetables in your diet, human or dog, the better it is to stave off cancer. It's highly recommended for dogs. Thank goodness, I hope this isn't your issue that have it. So I would always say to have lots of some amount or some version of fruits and vegetables, but uh, the carbs need to be simple carbs, and that would be rice or barley or quinoa or what have you. So in terms of dogs, there is no, the reason you can't remember why dogs shouldn't have dry food is because I really have never said that. And my dogs, which are humongous dogs, they're 100 pound dogs, they'd have a very hard time being completely full without it. 
However, just, you know, do listen up to the show all the time. Remember that supplementation, not just with a, a well-balanced supplement, but also omega-3 fatty acids, fish oil in particular, is super hyper important to any meal, no matter what other other things are in the dish that you're offering. So I really appreciate you listening. I appreciate your enthusiasm. I love that you're out there and we're going to be sending some some pure protein, human edible, although people don't usually like to eat dehydrated chicken, whole life pet uh, treats to, to Jack, which is true of anybody that writes to me at radiopetlady at gmail.com. I have a letter also from Denise in Canada. This is all falls into the dry food is kitty crack if it's for cats and for dogs, it better be a high quality premium food and feeding dry food alone is just too heavily carbohydrate of a diet, which may be what you remember, Harry, my saying that you cannot feed a dog just kibble. That's just not a balanced meal. So you have to give real meat or real protein in some form. I give scrambled eggs, cottage cheese, canned meat, home cooked meat. When I say meat, I mean turkey, chicken, sometimes beef. Denise in Canada says, I just adopted a cat from the shelter. I'm slowly changing her to canned food. Yes, Denise. I know that dry food is unhealthy and does not help their teeth. Correct. But how do you keep their teeth healthy if they resist brushing? It's a good question. But we don't really look to food as a toothbrush. And this is one of the confusing things that's come about in the promotion of dry food as a tooth cleaner for dogs or cats. First of all, it doesn't clean their teeth because it, the ingredients in dry food actually create tartar and plaque, just like us eating foods that have fats and carbs and, um, some, and, and sometimes things sprayed on them to make them more delicious, whether we're talking about human corn chips or animal food even without dr corn in it. Those things actually create plaque and tartar on the teeth, which is why we all brush our teeth twice a day. A lot of cats will resist brushing, even if you get them as kittens. If you adopt them as adults, even less chance that they're going to accept brushing. So you keep their teeth healthy by going to that yearly vet visit, which is highly, highly recommended. In fact, I beg you to do it. And one of the main things you want to look for, have your vet look for is inside your cat's mouth. Oral cancer is is happens in cats. I won't say it's common, but it happens and we don't realize it because we are not investigating the inside of their mouth, hardly ever. And... The same thing with cleaning. Are we looking just at teeth that have a little brown from tartar and plaque? Are we looking at gingivitis, reddened gums? Do we really know at what point it's not good or, or needs to be professionally cleaned? I don't think it's easy for us to do that unless we've been really watching and being taught by our vet or our vet tech right along to do that. So you want your vet to tell you. And having your, your dog or cat's teeth professionally cleaned as needed because a lot of tartar and plaque is built up just like some people get teeth with more of that or more cavities, so do some dogs and cats develop more tartar plaque gingivitis. And a professional cleaning under anesthesia, which is the most humane way to do it and does not pose any sort of a health risk if done by a licensed veterinarian who knows what they're doing, it's a light sedation, is the most humane and the most effective way to keep the teeth clean. There are some sprays that exist on the market that after the professional teeth cleaning, you can squirt in there that work a little like some of the mouth rinses for people that are meant to, you know, maybe dissolve a little bit of tartar and plaque, but unlikely. The other thing you can do is wrap your finger in a piece of gauze and put some pet toothpaste. They have liver flavor, chicken flavor. See if the kitty will let you rub your finger. It doesn't have to be exactly on the teeth or be a brushing motion, but just rub it up by the gum line little by little, maybe feeding a little treat before or after to encourage it. That can help. 
but we just don't look to food as a way to clean teeth, neither in our pets or in ourselves. And then I had an email from Robert in Morganville, New Jersey, who I had helped on my, my radio pet lady show, Cat Crazy, with some intercat fighting. Got some feel-away diffusers to him. He said, I just wanted to thank you again for your help with my cat. I've been trying to, he has several cats. I've been trying to keep some of them separate to avoid fighting. I'm now working on feeding and then a stake through my heart. He says, trying out different dry foods to find one that will make them feel full and satisfied. I'm trying to reduce the amount of canned food given to them during the day. Take care and once again, thank you. Robert, a stake through my heart. I love you. I love your cats. You cannot feed them kitty crap. They will not, they might feel full temporarily satisfied never they're obligate carnivores they need to eat meat and only meat so please do not be looking for any kind of kitty crack that they'll like give that to your local shelter and go with canned food only two meals a day and that will also help reduce fighting because they will feel genuinely full and satisfied so those are just a couple of questions that came in um i hope you guys have a chance to listen to some of the shows on radiopetlady.com because i often have people that write to me actually join me and some of my veterinary co-hosts to answer their questions. So have a great rest of the day. Thanks for listening. Kiss your kitties and hug your pooches. And we will talk again next week. Bye for now. Thanks.